the best idea for podcast of all time. This is Champs in the Making. Where we have made a bracket of every Pokemon that has ever existed and are putting them up in battles head-to-head. One-on-ones to scientifically find out the best Pokemon. Every two weeks, we gather up an assortment of hosts from the Orange Groves. And cut a bloody path through the Pokedex. Come listen to me defend the rights of crustacean-based Pokemon. Olga is a perfect little baby, and I will not stand for anything else. Deciduize the best fucking Pokemon because he looks like Robin Head. Shout some about why your favorite Pokemon is the best. Put them forward and insult Ambipom every two weeks, only on the Orange Groves. Uh, Puchina is the best, and my friends already knocked Mightyena out, which I'm sad about. So now we're truly just living on the edge. Hi everyone, I'm Andrew. I'm Marn. And this is Meteorgnalisonauts. Um We'll have a better title the next time we do this, but we're doing a weird hybrid Meteorg Analysis Argonauts episode today, uh, kind of like we did with the Jejun Institute, because we're talking about a documentary by the same company called In Bright Axiom. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, it's so it's basically sort of a Jejun Institute style documentary that they made about uh the the project that they worked on after the Jejun Institute with a lot of the same people involved mm-hmm. um and it was much less successful <laughs> that is a good way of putting it it's by um nonchalance i guess is is nonchalance is like the artist collective behind this is that the phrasing that's correct here yeah that's um that's what it's called. Okay. Uh and so this is the the documentary In Bright Axiom which is uh I watched it for free with ads on Amazon Prime which is mm-hmm. a surreal experience. Um but I think that you can also find it on some other streaming platforms as well or it's available for like renting and downloading on Amazon and YouTube. Yeah, um, it was really hard to find up until fairly recently. Um, yeah, this one, it came out in 2019, right? Yeah, it came out a lot more recently than the Institute, and it was also really hard to find streaming for a while up until like last year, um, which was why we didn't watch it like directly after the Institute. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. How do we get into this one? I feel like I've read so much on the background of this game since watching this movie. Yeah. That it is hard for me to just say, like, here's how the movie goes. Um, I'll kick things off. Um, this this documentary is really annoying to me uh, for the same reasons that the Institute was annoying to me. Um, because I, I hate that it, like half steps between what actually happened and an in-universe description of what happened, especially with this one. Uh, spoiler alert for the whole thing. When part of that in-universe explanation is explaining why things crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it's very hard to watch this documentary, especially you look up an article after the fact and you're just like, oh, this is a documentary about this thing that's kind of sidestepping around a big thing here, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, we'll get into that as we go along. Um, I guess we don't have any questions or anything this week because we didn't expect this to be like a regular episode sort of. So uh, do we just want to get into the documentary? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the original explanation for how this 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 thing worked, it's not even really an ARG, which is the weird thing that kind of came out as we were reviewing it. Um, yeah, it's like... But, it, go ahead. It's a little weird because like, the Jejun Institute had like puzzles and like th- places for people to go to like interact with characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this was like more kind of like the people who got involved with it were helping craft the experience yeah so this is a this is what people think starting a cult is like yeah um like i think that like watching this movie you're just like this is what people think cults are Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. at their like at their best uh but like this isn't an arg as much as it is Creating a secret society. It's yeah, it's kind of more and LARP just, adjacent, I would say. Yeah, like well, it's at what point, like at what point is it a LARP does it cross the line between LARP to we have just created a secret society? Yeah, true. Like at some you know, I mean, <clears throat> as much as you could say any friend group is a secret society, but like at some point when you get to a n like the numbers that this group got to and like the way that it functioned, it's just kind of like, yeah, they set up and created a secret society that worked online. There's not like a game to it, but there is a group of folks that think they're better than other people. Yeah, it's like, so it's also odd because it kind of starts very similarly to the Jejun Institute where it's like you go to a location and you do <laughs> tasks at this location. But then after that, it's like, oh, this isn't mm. like this isn't really a game. This is just like going places to hang out with people. <laughs> yeah. So most importantly, the first thing that happens is you get a card from someone mm-hmm. and it's a card in a sleeve. And on the back, it says absolute discretion. And on the front, it like when you, when you look at the card, it looks like a credit card. That's just all zeros. And on the back, it says, um, Oh, what are, I think it says lat, like latitude.com. It says uh, whatever it was. You go to that website and they say, hey, do you want to set up a, uh, you know, set up your appointment? Um, you know, this is a solo appointment. Don't bring anyone. Uh, your time will be such time uh, and you'll come to this address. And then you'll get to that address and there's like a key card at the door that you swipe and that lets you in. And when you go in, you give up all of the things that you have on you and you like go down a slide. So you don't know how far into this building you're going or where exactly you are. Uh, But you're like in this building and you go through like there's a book that reads a fable to you, Um, like a fable made up about the story about basically a fable about making a secret society so that you can get out of the walls of the real world and into the world beyond yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, from there you like you go through this room. There's some weird stuff around, but not like puzzles. And then from there, there's another scavenger hunt like you get with uh, uh, the Institute, with Jejun Institute, where, you know, you walk out of the place and you get a phone call that like is reading you a message as you're walking through the street, which is a really cool thing. I love it every time I see something like that happening where they're just like, you're going to want to make a right here. And then as you just keep walking, they're just like, look up to that window on the left. You'll see a dude in there that's dressed like a gremlin, I guess. Um, But like. As you go, th- you know, go through this thing, eventually you get like a coin from a bartender after you hand them a card or something. And then you take that upstairs to like an arcade room, go to a certain machine, put it in, and you get a message from like basically Zordon from Power Rangers that's like, welcome to our secret society. Yeah. Um, You know, here's your code. You can go on from there. Uh. And you leave, and you go onto their website, you put in that code, and you get access to the forum with all the other people that have, like, done this process that you have. Yep. That's pretty much the ARG. That's pretty much it. And then you're in a secret society. And I, yeah, I'm not saying that's the ARG is, like, to say, like, and that sucks. Like, it's not, (laughs) but it's just, like, that's where the, from what I gathered from this documentary and from a little bit of reading... That's where that part of things began and ended. The, like, the actual gamified part of this. Yeah, that's kind of where, like, the the structured experience ends. And, like, the kind of, like, go make your own fun begins. Mm-hmm. What if Minecraft was an ARG? Yeah. Yeah, if you're done with the tutorial, which Minecraft doesn't even have, but stick with me, uh, <laughs> you get out into the real world, and it's like, great, go do your thing. It seems like, so, like in the Jejun Institute documentary that we watched, um, you know, you have a lot of players that, like, had a lot of, found a lot of profundity in, like, getting out of the known and getting into the unknown. And the old, you know, just the ARG thing of, wow, it's cool to see under the surface of this world that it, like, what if there was some secret happening? What if there was, like, wonder and a place for play in the real world? Um, yeah, what if I could be a part of it? It's kind of like, I want to say, like, a less structured implementation of some of the stuff that they did with the Jejun Institute. Because, like, Jejun is also about, like, what if there was, like, a place for play in the real world and, like, divine mm-hmm. nonchalance and that kind of stuff? And this is like, okay, but what if we took all of the puzzles out of that? <laughs> like, yeah. what if there was less, like, opportunity for, like, puzzle solving and discovery and it was just, like, go to this place and have fun with some people? <laughs> yeah, and from there, like, a lot of people on the forum made, you know, they made events you know they said hey we're gonna do these we're gonna go do a thing we're gonna you know hey let's all meet up i read an article from motherboard that i will read the title of later uh because we'll get to it um but there's an article by lydia lawrenson in motherboard uh by vice that is really good that um is where i'm getting a lot of my here's what people did in the background Stuff yeah, from. there. So if you Google the Latitude Society, there are a couple like really good, um, like blog entries and articles by people who were like 
a part, like an active part of the Latitude Society. Um, and they're all very interesting because they're all very different. Yes. Um, because basically, like, everyone went to sort of, like, different events and, like, had different experiences with the people involved. Mm-hmm. The basic things that I found that, like, came out of this is that once you were a part of this society and you're posting on the forums, um, you've got a couple of, like, different options of things you can do outside of just, you know, socially, hey, things we can do are hang out with each other. Um, but, like, uh, officially, they had, like, um, you can invite other people to join. Um, you could – one thing, they didn't they didn't say this in the documentary um, – in the documentary, they were just like, yeah, people got invited to join. Um, you bought a membership card to give to someone. That was a, like, you know, we've got a merch shop that includes the membership invitation cards, um, as well as, like, a t-shirt or something like that. But, um, and then you could also do, I think they called it, I think they called it Praxis, which feels weird yeah, in the very yeah. online world we live in nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but Praxis, from what I can tell, is basically just, like... We're going to go do, like, an official meeting, which apparently could be just about anything. Uh, but basically, they started with, like, we're going to tell each other the fable, and we're all going to hang out and be part of this society together. And we're all using our code name from what we know online, and we're going to go, you know, just in that way. Uh, we're going to do secret society shit, which, who doesn't want to do secret society shit? Yeah, and they have, and they have like a home base that was like the place where everyone went to at first. And it had like a library that had like books of lore in it, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like, apparently they also like the bar that people went to like turn yeah. in the card to get the coin from that just became like, do y'all want to meet up at that bar and we can hang uh-huh. out? Like that just became a regular place for people. Cause it's a place everyone knew. They they talk about it a lot in the documentary where people are just like, yeah, you're just like, is this a cult? I don't think it's a cult. Like, it'd be weird if it was a cult. Uh, but, like, we're just here <laughs> hanging hanging out and having a good time. And it's just kind of like, yeah, this is, this is how a secret society would start if a secret society wasn't just, like, starting from a group of already friends. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no, no. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It, it's very, like, what if we ironically started a cult, and eventually it's just like, oh, like, even if we did this ironically, like, we did still kind of do this, didn't we? Yeah, it, yeah. It's like, I don't know, it's it's weird because I, I, I feel like so often we talk about ARGs, we're like, hey, cults are bad, and this one is like... Hey, but wouldn't it be cool to be in a cult? Cults like are a bad. Bit? Cults are bad, but we made a secret uh-huh. society, so that's okay. We have strange orientation rituals and, <laughs> and um, the lore library. There's a library of our lore. Um, we have an anonymous, mysterious benefactor who uh, apparently is in charge of everything, but none of us know who it is. Um, even though a lot of us kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a very weird, it's very weird. Cause we are talking about this event through both this documentary and 
basically this Vice article for me. Um, yeah, it's just no, like, I, we're looking looking at both sides of this coin of just like, here's what happened. Well, it's interesting for me because like I had read that article before I watched the documentary. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And um, and so watching the documentary was very interesting, knowing where it was going to end up. Gotcha. So one of the things that they, I guess in the documentary, the thing that they were covering was one of the big, like, Praxis events, which was, like, a basically weekend retreat. Um, but it sounded like it had a lot more setup than a lot of other stuff. It sounded very other... In, like it, it sounded kind of like the first event where basically people got like got a message that was like, "Hey, here's an address you can come to," and then um, they got like a big MP3 file to listen to in the car for like one of the neat things about having a, an ARG that's set in one central location is that like you can say, "Hey, we're gonna drive three hours north, and then I can prepare." three hours of content for them and they will listen to that on the drive and like you can have that very structured nature to it which is kind of cool um but and you can talk about like we're gonna drive now like hope your car's doing well mm-hmm. um but they like drove up to this ha- to this house um like a big airbnb i guess and uh um like the next morning everyone like woke up and met each other and like collected stuff in the house and it looked like it was going in an argy direction but then yeah. it was just like come outside and uh we're gonna get together and put stones in sand um in a very jungian i don't know sand play style ceremony thing and uh now we're gonna go and just like have a big party and it seems like a lot of fun if i'm being perfectly honest yeah i mean i would do it <laughs> My problem is that I'm not a very, I'm not a very game person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I'm I, just, I, yeah. I, I'm not good at buying into kayfabe. Um, and so for me, this seems like a really fun thing to stand on the outside circle of and watch in and be like, yeah, people are having a real good time here. Um, that's about as, that's about as spot in as I can get to something like this, <laughs> but it seems like people had fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it would be fun. I think, I think if I was like, so I, t- I, I talked about this a little in like the Jejun Institute episodes, but like, I'm really charmed by kind of the, the like philosophy behind a lot of the nonchalant stuff, which is like creating, a space for adults to engage in play and like imagination games. And so like, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the Shishun Institute as like uh, from everything that I've heard about it. So like, I don't know. I, I, I can't rag on what they've done here too hard because I feel like if I had participated, I would have been very into it. <laughs> yeah. This is the kind of thing that sounds like it rules uh, here. I'm going to, I want to read a bit from the epilogue that was posted to the Latitude Society back when all their websites were up. Uh, they're down now, but someone has a screenshot of the page uh, from when it was up. Um, but someone this titled The First Gatherings, uh, where someone said the actual or not, not someone the uh, we've already said it. It's the people behind uh, it's people behind 
I feel like we're trying to keep a little bit secret, so I feel like I'm just like I gotta play coy. But we all know it's it's uh, Jeff Hull is the person behind everything with Nonchalance, the mm-hmm. art collective, um, and he wrote uh, the actual project began with a gathering of the Baker's Dozen in the deep woods of Men. Uh, Mendocino. Uh, these multi-day retreats were planned and programmed together with Gordy Akinson and Magda Dominic and included several creative luminaries who helped to flesh out their story world. Uh, the members of people invited to these festivals and retreats eventually grew to 60, and their entire weekend would always be a finely curated affair, from the invitation to the final conclusion. There were mysterious augmented reality files as the inroad, pink string walks through the wilderness, the stone game, lectures and discussions, musical performances, bonfires, initiatory roasts, and they would always climax with an incredible Saturday evening meadow bouquet uh, catered by Rachel Sanchez and the Salt and Pepper Guild. As our compeers adorned in regalia, headdresses, and finery would walk together in the meadow, where a massive table was lit up by carnival and candlelight, it seemed that anything was possible. Toasting from across this massive table back and forth with Professor Walter, uh, with the Professor Walker Kinley is one of the all-time favorite moments of my life. The shared sense of wonder, camaraderie, ceremony, and goodwill was revelatory and palpable, and I've watched several members of this tribe reduced to tears at its conclusion, myself notwithstanding. This is the feeling we wish to share with the world. This was the real Latitude Society. So, yeah, big party in the woods to cap things off that people would just, like, I don't know, go nuts at. Like, yeah, that sounds like it rules. I'm in. Mm -hmm. I mean, so... (laughs) Yeah, and it, it, it in some ways feels like a logical extension of some of the live events that they did for Jejun, like the how they like ended Jejun with like that big like conference thing that was basically just like guided meditation and like people sitting like under a parachute and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels like. They took that concept and were like, what if we made this into a whole experience instead of just, like, the end of our game? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, as I'm looking through this, so book one of Latitude was this, like, initiation process. Yeah. The go through the, you know, go through the, the house that we've built and... Go through, you know, get meet Zordon. Um, what was that thing's name? Quab, Quab, Quad, Quaz, Quaz, Quaz. It. I can't get over the fact that it looks like a. Uh, there's a Magic the Gathering character that it looks like called Ashiok, which is a similar like person with no face, but with like two stalks where its eyes should be situation and i can't get past that i just feel like it looks like this person every time they pop up on screen i'm just like i've cast them before yeah what was book two do you remember uh nope was i think was book two just like from there book two is now be friends like now be a secret society together and start that's where all the praxis events started coming into play where they like yeah 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 as I I couldn't get a good feeling from in so judging by the documentary and then uh, this article, it seems like some people got more involved than others, and so 
those people took on basically higher functions within latitude as a whole. Um, there was already a bit of a, like a bit of structure of people where like, uh, kind of like in, in fraternities or sororities, you have like bigs and littles, which is like a mentor mentee style thing. Um, in that kind of same way, it was like the people that you invited were not under you saying under you sounds too, uh, strong, but like, there's a specific word for it that they had. I'm trying to find it in this, uh, ascendance and descendant, the person above you that invited you to join as your ascendant, you're their descendant. And so there's a bit of that kind of like non-official, but is kind of official hierarchy in the group, as well as just like people started to take on stuff as they were doing stuff and they would be in the inner group. Um, there was an affairs guild, I think is what it was called. The group of volunteers that ran their events. Um, and those people would like put together official group things to do official ideas, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting to me. Like, I really enjoy that they kind of let people do a self-guided thing, but I don't enjoy that it was like the whole experience. Yeah, this is, what if people took your favorite thing in ARGs and cranked it up to 11, where the ARG is just, let's all chat and hang out. Yeah. And I I don't know, part of the problem that I have with the documentary is... I don't know the difference between any of the people involved in this. Um, yeah, exactly. I know a few people that were in the documentary were like, a couple people were just like Jeff Hall and the actor that played a professor in the in the the thing. I don't really know where he plays a role because he is kind of a character in the documentary, but they never really like explain him necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he just is the guy that knows what's up. Quas and all that. Um, but they don't tell you, they, they interview a lot of different people, but they never tell you who any of those people are or how, you know, and it, it matters. Are you just an initiate? Are you someone with the affairs guild that like plan stuff? Are you, you know, were you working directly with Jeff Hall? There was a part near the end of the documentary where they show like a group of people on stage in like an official position mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it includes a couple of the people that were in the documentary being interviewed the whole time but the the documentary just treated them like they were just members and it's like well if you're on stage up there you clearly have like something going on so i don't know what i don't know who i can really take not trust about this documentary but who i can take more seriously than others you know Yeah, I also thought that was odd that they like had actual players and stuff on the on the stage with like the people who were running the arg. Yeah, and I and I don't know what that means, and the documentary won't tell me what that means. So that's where my frustration goes. And it's a secret society, so I can't read their records. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I I there's a quote on Wikipedia 
Yeah, a quote here in the reception section for the documentary uh, from John DeFore of The Hollywood Reporter, who wrote, The film feels insufficiently honest, like a magician who will hint strongly at how a trick is done, but still wants you to believe he has supernatural powers. Yeah. And that's that, how I That's I, pretty accurate. I completely agree with that, where I'm just like, I really wish you would just like, just tell me what's up. I, I like, want that out of the documentary. But I know that Jeff Hull's doing this documentary about his own project because he wants to like get forward what he wanted this to mean, which yeah. worked with Jejun, and I really don't think works here. Yeah, I was going to say, it didn't bother me like at all with Jejun, especially because like, I could tell what was mostly what was like fictional and what wasn't Mm -hmm. like it was there was a pretty clear boundary there i felt like yeah and i um i i didn't like it in the institute but the part about it that i didn't like was that i i wanted it to be more get the fiction out of here tell me how you ran this game like tell me the behind the scenes stuff i want to know what the game is like how the game works not what it means um and that's just where I was in, in in watching that. But like here, I don't think it works for reasons I'll get to later. But it, it really does feel like it's like in some ways it kind of feels like this documentary is covering an ass of a game that kind of imploded. And it's doing so to be like, here's the in-universe mm-hmm. how it imploded. Yeah. And it's like, dog, that's not why this imploded. Yep. Samara, yeah, and, oh, go ahead. and it was it was especially interesting watching it like knowing already how it had imploded. It I did not know how it imploded, and so uh I was Googling as I was watching the documentary to be like, let me uh let me figure out like I want to read about the game itself as I'm watching this documentary, because I, you know, I'm sitting here grumpy, like, God knows they're not going to tell me about the game itself because they're too busy getting on their high horse about how people are on their phones too much and there's no fun in the world. So let mm-hmm. me let me read about the game. And I Googled Latitude and learned some stuff. <laughs> do we want to get into why this uh, game crashed? Yeah, let's do it. So the article we've been that I've been reading from and referencing this whole time uh, it'll be in the show notes, so if you've seen the title there, then you spoiled it for yourself. Uh, but the title of the article is My Year in San Francisco's $2 Million Secret Society Startup. The rise and fall of Latitude, an exclusive for-profit underground society started by a wealthy backer, is a fable for modern Silicon Valley. Basically... Yep. Something they never tell you in the documentary, those cards cost money to invite people. It cost $25 to invite someone to join this group. It later became it cost $32 to invite someone to the group and get like a to get an official card. And then they had a big event for all of the people in the like people in the group where they I guess they basically said that they were going to start charging dues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that to be a, gr- a member of the group, it was going to cost $35 a month, which is an insane price to me. That's hundreds of dollars a year. I mean, I guess that's secret society money, but now it's like, 
we're going to stop pretending we're a secret society and actually start being a secret society. And we need your money to do that. Yeah. And in the documentary, they kind of got a lot of people who were just like, isn't one of the things that they tell you to like, when you're trying to do a checklist to see if you're in a cult, isn't taking all of your money part of being in a cult? And people yeah. were not happy. I And kind of understandably so. Uh-huh. No, absolutely. I... Uh, I will say, so some background info on how Latitude Society worked as a whole. Um, apparently, I've seen this on a couple different stories, but I think that they're all quoting back to this Vice story. So, mm-hmm. and, and even in the Vice story, they're like, we can't like directly verify this, but this is like enough people have said that this is what happened, that we're going with it, basically. Um but apparently, like, Jeff Hull is independently wealthy, and using that money, he was able to start nonchalance, and he also has, like, um, some arts, other arts groups and, like, a streetwear business and stuff like that in and around Oakland. Yeah. Um, and apparently, like, put, like, $2 million into this game, or into this thing as a whole from the beginning. Yeah, um, there's there's another article that says their operating expenses was like $3,000 a day or something like that. Yeah. Which is like bonkers. But also like, I kind of can see it because they like built a custom location to be like yes. the, the library and stuff. Um, and there was a bunch of stuff that they just like did from the ground up that like definitely cost a lot of money. Yeah. The prop work in this game is like the world's most expensive escape room. Yeah. Something I literally wrote in my notes. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, Oh, this literally just is the world's most expensive escape room. Um, this put, this is a lot of money behind the scenes. You have multiple employees running this thing, making sure that this is going like tracking members. You know, you got to print the cards. You got to do all this. Like, I can understand why this takes, how this can take so much. Um, the documentary does a lot of framing this as we told people they were going to need to start and pay and they were very entitled and didn't want to do that. And tensions came to a head and the group shut down. Yeah. And I think that is kind of what happened, but I think that like, that's the framing of the documentary. Um, and I don't, it's, it's a weird case where it's like, well, is it entitled to think that you should get something for free? Yeah, maybe, but that's how it's always been. And that's the expectation that has been set up. And it's very much a, in this article, it, it basically gets to like, this is kind of like how startups run where mm-hmm. you get a lot of money from an investor, you just kind of spend the money, and you worry about monetizing later. And eventually, nonchalance is like, we're spending $3,000 a day. We need to figure out how to, how to you know, get a return on investment on this. What if we start charging dues? Yeah. And kind it's- of, I feel like when any ARG-style thing starts doing that, like, 
it's generally regarded as a bad idea and people get mad about it. Like, people got mad that the Bear Stearns Bravo people charged, what, like, $7 to get into Act 2? Yeah. Even though it was like, you paid $7 one time for, like, a game <laughs> that you get to, like, have access to forever. Mm-hmm. So I'm also going to read from the uh, from what uh, Hull wrote in the epilogue. Uh, he's got a section called The Obstacles. Um, this is just a small fraction of what we had planned to build, but we got a bit distracted along the way. Looking back, I see now that this is when I made a grave error. From conception, the design was that when people had just returned home from the book one experience, which could only be gifted to them from another member, that they would log onto the site and immediately see a menu of options. Gift the book one experience to a friend, do book two, become a member, or exit through the gift shop. Each was a point of purchase and a clear border to entry. There were concerns, though, that people would be turned off and they wouldn't pay or they wouldn't understand what the product was. I strongly advocated, was talked out of it, and this is a huge regret. Without a clear border to entry and with hugely varied levels of engagement, the latitude invited a great deal of confusion with mismatched expectations. Was experiential adventure a new product and service category? Was it an inspiring form of play and entertainment? Was it a self-organized social club? Was it a religion? I don't know if anybody completely agreed. There were so many blanks to be filled in. The latitude may have served multiple purposes, but ultimately it could not be all things to all people. Was there struggle? Was there strife? Was there tension? Glorious amounts. Were there hurt feelings and heartbreak? All too much. But let us not speak of such prime things now in this disembodied way. Suffice it to say, that was an enduring and inescapable mystery to me how a game built to offer shared whimsy, inspiration, and play can result in trauma for the people most closely involved. Basically, they set up a group and then said, if you want to stay in the group, you have to start paying us. An amount of money that is, like, a little ridiculous if... If you're one of the people involved in this who's just like kind of a tech bro in San Francisco, $35 a month, not terribly expensive because you're getting a big social life out of this. Or if it's something you're really dedicated to, it might matter a lot and it is important to you. But like to just be involved, you have to pay 35 bucks a month. That's mm-hmm. a little ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, people got pissed at that. <laughs> yeah. And they like told them at a live event that that was what was going to be happening um yeah they told them at a big in-person event and they have it on film and you can kind of see the entire crowd just feel like what the fuck they they basically i mean they turned a social group into like into a sales opportunity is really what they like yeah and the 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 like video of the event is um interesting <laughs> because like people got extremely hostile with them. Yeah, there are people like yelling from the the crowd at them. Um they're also just like it definitely feels like one of those situations where um you know how people can like when something brings a struggle to the forefront, it Let's you get up and say like, yeah, hey, while we're here, what about this too? What's up with that? Um, 
Yeah. They're, they have some stuff in the footage of one guy who gets up and is like, hey, like, our whole thing is absolute discretion, right? How come you get to film a documentary about it? How come you get to film us if we're being absolutely discreet? It's a lot of arguing in this room. It's a lot of grief and a lot of, like, people coming together to be pissed off that this thing that they know has meant a lot to them is going to end and they know it, you know? Yeah, and some of the, like, some of the creators talk about, like, feeling unsafe and stuff, and, like, I can absolutely see that. Like, people got extremely hostile with them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, one guy, like, came up on stage and they're just like, hey, bud, what's up? You're uh, a little drunk. We can tell that. We probably shouldn't have plied everyone with a bunch of alcohol like we do at all these events. I don't know. Basically, this is what if what if your what if your group of friends from college suddenly decided, hey, we're a fraternity now. You need to start paying dues. Mm -hmm. And uh, people got. Yeah, I. In 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 the. The documentary kind of frames it as like, how could we have known that like something like this would happen? Uh, it seems like we tried to pull this, you know, we tried to to change this into something new and evolve it to bigger heights, but people weren't ready for that yet. And so we had to put the project to bed. And everything else I've seen writing about this is very clear that they were just like, yeah, no, a business tried to collect and uh, all of us weren't having it because there were no terms and conditions. None of us like were interested in this. They have, unfortunately, um, it, the people have set the thing to private from since this article came out, but apparently like they have, they have like business slides from nonchalance pitch meetings about how like they wanted to pitch the society as a business to try and start this group up in other cities too. Uh, that places the society at the center of a Venn diagram with peer-to-peer community, social gaming, and cultural events. And then slide seven, the next slide is a dynamic cross-media rollout with multiple revenue streams uh, that includes merchandise and membership services. Um, Yeah, basically, mid-2015, they rolled out a paywall. And uh, they're just like, yeah, like we're just going to do a paywall. Everyone's cool with this, right? And if you want to do Praxis and the official, like, official memberships, uh, you got to pay. And people reacted the same way that we would if we said that, hey, Argonauts is now behind a paywall. It's also interesting because I feel like when they were doing Jejun, they had to end it early because they ran out of money. I It, it feels like Jejun they ended because they wanted to, like... They they ran out of money in the project. In this one, it sounds like they were like, well, we could keep it going. There is money in the bank, but like our goal is to get this to be self-funded. And then when people really pushed back against that, they were just like, well, we can't recover from this PR shift. And it's also really interesting, I feel like, to look at the stuff they've done since uh, Latitude ended, because a lot of that stuff has made, like, a huge dramatic shift towards online. Like, uh, the, like, the new newology stuff was mostly on Twitch. Um. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about, like, the next big thing that they did, but that was mostly online. I, I, well, mostly because it took place during the pandemic, but, like, a lot of it was website-based anyway, and I think it probably would have been even if there hadn't been a pandemic going on. 
Um, and it's so it, it, it's kind of interesting to know that there's been they've kind of consciously shifted back towards like web based stuff and like interactions over like discord and twitch rather than doing these like really intricate expensive live experiences <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and i mean well that was that was something that i i learned partway through reading this article that um you know hull himself is independently wealthy um and it's just kind of like oh okay that's where the money funding this stuff came from. And it kind of makes sense that like you need a patron to pull off this kind of big artistic movement. Um, makes sense that that happens, but like an investor doesn't want to go broke paying for your thing forever. You know, I, you know, personally I work in tech at a startup that is investor funded. Um, when you take on money from investors, you got to start changing stuff or moving stuff to like a fit what those investors want, but B, you got to figure out how to do a revenue stream eventually. Unless you're Tesla, that money will keep coming in forever. But um, it feels weird to say that this guy's a venture capitalist on his own thing. Because I, I don't think that they even necessarily wanted this to be like super profitable as much as it was like. I feel like if this had done all right, they would have been happy and it would have continued. The people, you know, nonchalance, people behind it. But yeah. like. Watching something like this crash when it came time to be mm-hmm. marketable, I I can definitely understand anyone being like, "Well, why the fuck am I trying then and pulling the plug?" Yeah, like with with the reaction they got, I completely understand. Yeah, I wanna I wanna read a little bit from the uh, uh, the the Vice article. Um, she wrote. The announcement hurt especially for members who were struggling to hang on to their homes in a city that was fast becoming the most expensive in the nation. Much like San Francisco itself, the society hadn't felt like it was intended for people with money until suddenly it did. Living in San Francisco, one often feels trapped in a playground for the carelessly rich, and it hurts to be treated like a toy. Uh, And finally, how could we feel good inviting others to the society knowing that our descendants would be asked to pay? Someone started a thread on the forums titled, When a Gift Comes with a Price Tag, and it quickly gathered responses. Today, there's a public staff list of who worked on the Latitude Society. Back when I got involved, however, it was hard to determine who was officially employed because there was no staff list and nobody listed the company on their LinkedIn profiles. The most visible team member was Kat Meller. She was an experienced designer. When they built a tiny library, she spent hours hand-rubbing the carpet with oils of vetiver. She ran all the events, so she absorbed most of the negativity from the membership rollout. Although it was clearly painful for Kat to tell us something we didn't want to hear, she held firm. Nonchalance really needed uh, to monetize the latitude, she told us. Other nonchalance employees, including Jeff, supported her by attending events and posting to the forums. The entire community held meetings and wrote comments about how the society could earn money. Hundreds of people signed up as paid members. And then it goes on and just kind of explains how things kind of fell apart from there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Apparently... This and all the fallout from this caused a bit of a schism in nonchalance, and a couple people left, and then things kind of deteriorated from there. Yeah, I, I read about that. Um, yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> Not great. I know that I am very... I've said it a couple times in other episodes. Uh, I can be very like, look, if you need people to pay for an ARG, tell people you need... Like, 
I'm I'm here to say, you know what? Make your players play for something. Make your payers make players pay. Um, if you need to, like, if that's where your budget has to come from, then you can do that. But like, you gotta be upfront with that, and you have to let people know that that's what's happening. Yeah, like um the the Ben Drown guy, like when he brought Ben Drown back, he literally started a Patreon and was like, look. I put a lot of time and effort into editing these videos. Like, I need to do this. And people were like, great. And they gave him their money. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I know, um, you know, we have the Patreon from our episodes, but we were able to pull on that to make Pepsi Navy exposed. And frankly, mm-hmm. it's not like we're putting together an escape room. We, you know, didn't have much in the way of expenses, except that I, I still own Pepsi.Navy. Uh, (laughs) one of the things I hold most dear is that URL. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it sucks when you go in and you say, here's a cool way to meet people, especially when, you know, there is a merch store. You can buy a t-shirt. They have, you have to buy a card, which is a pretty expensive for an invitation thing in order to invite someone to join the society as well. Yeah. That feels like you're monetizing place, but like that pales in comparison to three thousand people a day or three thousand dollars a day, you know. So yeah. when that suddenly becomes now everyone has to pay, I no dice like that. You can't do it that way. You've got to be upfront with things. I don't know. I feel like if this if this had started with you've done this. You are like, you now have the opportunity of joining our society. Would you like to? There are membership dues. Welcome to the membership. You'd have fewer people join, obviously, but you'd have a much more successful cult. And at the end of the day, that's (laughs) what we want here, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We want a successful cult. We're ironically building a cult, but we're still building a cult. So get the pocketbooks. I don't yeah. know. The documentary goes on. I didn't understand the last bit of the documentary because it really seemed like, I don't know, artistic rambling about like why this failed and everyone from off screen is yelling. It failed because you tried to charge people when you didn't expect people or when you didn't tell people you were going to start charging them. Yeah, the last bit of the documentary is very like weird kind of like metaphorical musing on like why it failed and being like oh you tried to like suck the wonder out of it and stuff like that and it's like no like you just kind of had a bad strategy here and people got rightfully upset about it but a little too enthusiastically upset at about it at you in person and it made people feel unsafe and so you chose to end it (laughs) yeah i mean it sounds like they ended it a bit at like it wasn't it wasn't like the next day it was gone but it was yeah society closed monday september 28th 2015 well okay mid 2015 they rolled out the membership service and it closed in i think i just said september so probably a couple months after it started I really feel like the documentary ends trying to be artistic about like, well, we don't need the group to have wonder in the world. We're the wonder that's in the world and we can do it without the society. And we don't need you, Quas, who's 
a vision in a flame. You know, we, we can do it on our own. You were wrong. We don't need you to do it. We can do it ourselves and we can continue yeah. on. And it's like, I'm glad that that's the idea that you want to put forward into the world in your documentary about how your thing failed. Like, it's much better to have that as your message instead of like, it ended because people suck. You know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it could have been worse, but like, at least there's an optimistic viewpoint that they took at the end of things instead of just like, well, fuck everything. Gonna start up nonchalance NFTs. Yeah, and I, I, I'm kind of excited to talk about the stuff that they did after this because it it still ties in with like Jejun and I think a little bit Latitude, but um, it is very fully kind of like low budget online stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get into it. And again, the moment any of these starts up in my town, if nonchalance moves to Michigan, I'm in. In yeah, a heartbeat. Exactly. In a heartbeat. Come to Ann Arbor. Rent is still terrible, but probably not as bad as San Francisco. Set up your shop there. I'll 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 be the first person through the door. Uh just don't make a documentary about me and tell me that I was entitled to a thing that I shouldn't have had to pay for in the first place. If you mm-hmm, didn't mm-hmm. tell me I had to pay for it, especially if I'm running shit for you. Yeah, no, exactly. And I don't know. I, I, I feel like there is probably a broader discussion to be had about like fan labor when it comes to ARGs and like interactive experiences. Oh, a hundred percent. And, like, I, I don't know, this is probably, like, the biggest offender that we talked about, but, like, you, I, I mean, you see it with stuff like Blazeball and, like, with larger, more involved ARGs that, like, people get very involved in, like, documenting and, like, making content for and stuff like that. Um, and, I don't know, there is definitely a conversation we had about, like, fan labor and, like, who gets compensated for it and... Uh, like how much time people put into stuff like that and yeah i don't know i i feel like especially in the context of something like this where it was like an experience that a lot of different people who could nominally be thought of as players and not like facilitators of the experience were like kind of working within that structure to create their own experiences and like welcome people into it and like putting time and money into uh, kind of creating that space and to be expect and then and like they were then expected to pay the actual creators like a mm-hmm. subscription fee like yeah i i understand why people got a little bit confrontational about it <laughs> well and one of the things about that you alluded to this earlier, but like every article you'll read about someone who was in latitude is going to be different because of the, like the invite structure was so different. Um, If you and I were both members of latitude, like you've got an invite card that you want to give to someone. How do you do it? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Like, do you do some elaborate ritual to say like, ah, you can join our team or whatever? Or, you know, for me, it would just be like, I'd probably have one or mm-hmm. two of these cards and someone in mind. And I would uh, just kind of slide it to someone and say like, hey, 
you should do this, but I can't tell you anything else about it. Yeah, like, I, I feel like I would, like, put it inside of a book or something and, like, kind of give someone the book or whatever. But, like, also, I was reading uh, a different article about Latitude and sent, and uh, it said in the article that, like, um, something that happened, like, kind of during the run of Latitude was that Jeff Hall was, like, going to give a speech at, like some like interactive fiction conference or whatever but like he wanted all of the people there to have context for like latitude and like what he was talking about so he gave like the person who was like running the panel or whatever the conference uh, just a box of um of cards to like hand out to all the people who were going to be at the panel um and the person basically just like dumped that box out and like just handed them out that way and a lot of the other people who were like involved with latitude were kind of chagrined that those people who attended the panel like didn't get a very good kind of like onboarding and so they kind of adopted those like the people from that panel who like chose to get deeper into the game and like a lot of them took those people under their wings and like became very dedicated to like giving them a better experience of the game than they'd like had during their onboarding. Weird. Well, and then in some ways it's just like, Oh, well like your onboarding also includes for everyone. It would include the, uh, like the thing, the going to the house, going down the slide, reading, you know, getting the fable stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So like there is that unified experience, but it is like, yeah, like, you know, do you just hand out, like, a card to a mysterious enough-looking stranger, you know? Yeah. Because, like, imagine a random person on the street gives you this card and you go through this whole experience because of it. That's a cool thing to happen to someone, too. Like, and so, one of the things that was, like, one of the bigger strengths of the thing is also kind of one of its weaknesses. And part of the reason that it's like, well, why should we pay you? Because we, even from, like, level zero, we've all made... Uh, latitude our thing not just yours i i do also want to read um i do want to read there's a bit uh written by rebecca power uh who's the ceo of a experience studio quixote games um Mm -hmm. but she was an early invitee who canceled her account and quit soon after she joined um and basically sent her critique of the group as a whole. Uh, I'm just going to read her verbatim, which is quoted and printed like this in the Vice article. Um, But she said, no matter where I start a conversation about the Latitude Society, I end up talking about corporate responsibility. If there was a terms of service agreement, why did it not include a formal procedure for releasing yourself from it? I know the employees were monitoring us, but who was monitoring them? Immersive immersive experience design as commercial entertainment is in its infancy, and it doesn't have established legitimacy. If the latitude came apart because of an incident caused by nonchalance lack of oversight, how would it affect the work of other artists like me? Scarier yet, what would it say to artists if the Latitude Society succeeded? I received my invitation card from someone I know. The day after my appointment, he messaged me privately on Facebook to say he'd been watching me on the video cameras. At the time, I brushed it off. 
It ruined my enjoyment of the theatrical experience, but there were plenty of other ways I could engage with the project without engaging with him. Then, another employee gave my boyfriend a card and told him that I'd been playing for several weeks. This was not great for our romantic relationship. Finally, at my first and only praxis, yet another employee told the group what I did for a living, effectively outing my actual identity. I requested that they deactivate my membership, but when I left, I became a security risk. People knew I ma- uh, people I knew made vague threats that I would regret leaving or talking about it. A roommate of mine stopped telling me where he was going when he left the house. Friends who I trusted contacted me and played stupid about their own involvement in order to suss out what I knew. I can't say with confidence that nonchalance encourages this behavior, but they should have been able to predict it. The fact that nonchalance had no procedure in place to identify, address, or rectify the antagonistic behavior resulting from their product and made no effort to put those procedures into place once that behavior became obvious demonstrates a lack of concern for their consumers that, if applied to other industries, would result in fines or a class action lawsuit. I recognize that some people's lives were changed for the better because of their involvement in the Latitude Society. I have no desire to denigrate their experience, nor do I hold everyone who maintained membership in the society responsible for the actions of a few. But my own experience, the one with paranoia and intimidation and inexperienced people abusing fabricated power, is is equally real, equally a product of the architecture nonchalance designed and built. How can I praise someone for the beauty they created if they cannot also expect responsibility for the ugliness? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of that. <laughs> this kind of ties back to earlier about, like, fan labor is... I was about to say fan labor is a good thing, but, like, there's nuances in and of that. But, like, yeah, the nature yes. of a fan doing labor for something is is cool, because it's a fan putting effort that they love into some back into something they love. Um, but you also get situations like this where it's like well you created a fake secret society that people took seriously where does the buck stop for people taking your secret society seriously especially if you don't have like a strong dedicated terms of service that like maintains this you know yeah and i i I, I do feel like args and kind of like arg adjacent stuff often runs up against this problem because like a lot of args don't make people sign waivers and a lot of them are kind of reluctant to break character to tell someone like hey knock that shit off so like you you get shit like this and you get shit like in art of the heist like people followed an actor who was like playing an npc Mm -hmm. back to his car yeah and like yeah i and i don't want to i don't want to denigrate i i i think that i just said that they don't have a terms of service, but it sounds like there was a terms of service. I just misread uh, what she was or misinterpreted what she had said before. But like, you know, even if there is a terms of service and a waiver involved, like you do have to account for the things that could happen. And at the end of the day, like I, I, I struggle with something like this partially because I'm not a very game person, but I'm just not able to, I don't know. When someone says we're all pretending to be involved in a fake society, it kind of raises my hair just a little bit, you know? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm with you. Um. So, yeah, I. What a weird thing. What a weird thing. I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk about the thing that they did after this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, after directly. So this 
Latitude was uh, 2016, and so the next thing they really did after that was the the Dispatches from Elsewhere TV show um, and the new Newology Network arg that kind of went along with that. Um, and that was that that was 2019. Um, the thing that they did after that, which ties into Jejun a little bit, um, was a all-online arg that took place during the pandemic, which very recently came to an end, I believe, or at least it's been kind of... So it either has come to an end or it's been on pause for so long that I feel comfortable talking about it. I don't... I'm not, like, entirely clear which one. I think it actually did end, The classic ARG experience. Are you dead or have you just been in a coma long enough that we can just pretend you are? Yeah, because I've I've had like the doc for it bookmarked um for a while. Because when I was looking into New Newology Network, I was like, oh, nonchalance is like doing something literally right now. Um, but it was so far along, and it's we'll get into it, but it, it's pretty dense. Um, that I kind of caught up on it, and I was like, oh, I still don't feel like I can jump into this. Like, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hell yeah. I'm excited to check that one out. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I think it's, it's, uh, we'll go into it. It's good. It's a lot. It's a lot to talk about. Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, I think my ultimate takeaway from this is just that, like, these interactive experiences, I think that it works a lot stronger when you have a strong authorial pull behind things. Yeah. Having an ARG where they're, you know, having, in D&D terms, having a dungeon master lets your players know, like, there is an authority here that we are working toward that has things in line, ready to put things out in front of us as we go along on the train. When you create a thing like this that is just everyone coming together to form a group, that group no longer belongs to you. Yeah, and it's, like I said before, it's kind of interesting to see how they kind of backpedaled into more, like, traditionally argy stuff after, like, Latitude shut down. Like, it's definitely, I don't know, it's just interesting to kind of see how they don't really have an interest in replicating that experience anymore. And like new newology network and, and Christ or the one that they did after that, that we're going to talk about are very more traditional, like, okay, here are the NPCs and like, here are the tasks that you have to accomplish. One thing that I think is in a, yes, I'm very interested in getting back to that structure and seeing how you Mm -hmm. take what you learned here forward into that structure. Um, one thing I'm also really curious about, um, in the last, uh, in the last paragraphs of this person's article, uh, she writes about how, like, the night after everything closed, a lot of people just, like, met up at that bar, uh, just because they knew where they were going. Um, and I'm curious about how... You know, this group has been officially dead for like seven years now, but I'm curious how many people are still doing it. 
you know i think i think a pretty significant amount i'm, I'm cu- i mean i'm i'm in uh i'm in the nonchalance discord server and i know that there's like a lot of people in there who have been around since like jejun i'm pretty sure good i hope it's one of those things where it's a shame that uh the official latitude uh just latitude officially closed its doors but they can't take the fact that you're a member of latitude away from you if you keep telling people you're a member of latitude society you know yeah i'm curious to see how people keep that alive same well hell yeah i uh I think that's a pretty good episode in the books. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah. Do we want to like do recommendations? Question mark. This is a hybrid. <laughs> I think we can do recommendations. Yeah. Let's do nice. it. Marn, what are you recommending this week? Uh, I have a book recommendation. Ooh, hit me. So I just yesterday finished reading uh, The Echo Wife by Sarah Guiley. I think her name is pronounced. The Echo Wife? Yes, uh, a friend of mine recommended it to me uh, because I forget what other book I had read and they were like, oh, if you like that, you'll probably like The Echo Wife. Uh, it fucking rules. It's it's also pretty fast paced, so it, it felt short. Um, okay. The basic premise is that it is from the point of view of um, a scientist like a a woman scientist who has like perfected uh a technique for cloning people um and she finds out that her husband has stolen her research and has made a clone of her and is cheating on her with the clone hell yeah and that's like that's like the chapter one premise of the book and it only gets more like absolutely bonkers from there oh hell yeah it's really 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 good everybody go read it babe it's not cheating it's you (laughs) i just have more wife per wife this is fine it's really good what i got i got one of my friends to read it uh also this week uh and she made a blog post that was like every time i think that this book can't possibly get more fucked up if something new happens (laughs) (laughs) like it's one of those (laughs) oh hell yeah um oh i also have a like a, a slightly sillier recommendation which is uh season two of centaur world just came out this week um, and I know I've recommended that on this podcast before. Uh, it's good. I mean, it's still like a show for children, but also Alyssa and I were sitting there watching it the other night and we were like, oh, we have one more episodes to go. Let's just like throw it on. Um, not knowing that it was a 90 minute series finale that's basically like a fully animated movie musical. And we were sitting there like screaming at the TV. Jesus. Like stuff was happening. <laughs> uh it's good there were a bunch of moments where i was like i don't think they're allowed to do this in a tvy7 show but (laughs) they sure did it (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) they build a centaur wife and cheat on the first one with it i don't know i'm trying to tie them together (laughs) but i don't think that works (laughs) there there was like a moment where i like looked at Alyssa and i was like they're they're just doing the chimera ants arc from hunter hunter in this like children's tv show is this allowed 
<laughs> oh god yeah i've heard i was i've heard centaur world's really good i know that you recommended it a while ago but i'm glad to hear that the second season's still good yeah um yeah i was talking to riley about it uh earlier today because i i messaged them to see if they'd watched it because it it the second season does remind me a little bit of interstitial in some ways. Um, and they were like, yeah, I, I watched like the first episode. And I kind of bounced off of it. And I will say like the first couple episodes are like not really the show that it becomes. It's a little adventure okay. timey in that way. Sure. Um, okay. Like you, you kind of have to stick with it through like the first couple of episodes. And then you're like, oh, Okay. Like this is this is the kind of show that it is. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Hell yeah. Um I have God, every every time that we record an episode, I worry if this is going to be the episode where I have to admit that i've watched a good 15 hours of youtube content about yep. icarly and victorious <laughs> uh but it's not because this week i can recommend taskmaster oh hell yeah um have you seen taskmaster i've seen a little bit of it yeah okay uh for anyone that hasn't it is a uh it's a british game show i guess uh that is they have just full seasons on YouTube, uh, which is awesome. But, uh, the basic premise of the show is that, um, they get five, uh, actors or comedians or, you know, whatever panelists who are on each season and, uh, one person who is the taskmaster who basically sends these people to live in a small house or at least record out of this house, um, a series of tasks that they have to do competitively against each other. They've got full episodes as well as just clips on YouTube. Uh, I watched a task this morning that was uh, call up a local pizza place and order a pe- uh, order a vegetarian pizza uh, with no tomatoes uh, and no cheese, but add pepperoni and bacon. And you are not allowed to say the words pizza, tomatoes, cheese, pepperoni, or bacon. Um, so also you get a bonus point if you can get the guy on the other end to say bubble. Um, so you then get the footage of these people calling each other, trying to like, just trying to place this order. Um, (laughs) you have like another one, they had like a team task that was, uh, you'll have one person next to you that has a limited vocabulary of what they can say. And you are standing there with a blindfold and a, uh, you know, trying to paint a copy of a still life that the other person can see um, while you can't see it. And they can only guide you by saying specific words. Uh, one of them was a fun thing where it was like, there's three items in front of you, an air horn, an apple, and a stack of cash. And your job is to predict what one of the other people will do with it and then make an action of your own. And you get points if you correctly predict what the other people do but also if they predict what you do well as well. I'm really underselling this show, but it's just a very funnily, interestingly designed game show that has a cast of some of the funniest people I've seen come together to make the whole thing possible. Um, Every task on the show 
there, a lot of them, there's just a way that you can kind of cheat the rules to make something happen that maybe someone notices as they're uh, trying to play through it. Maybe they don't. But every episode, really funny, really well edited and and uh, acted through by the contestants. And a really funny, I don't like panel shows, uh, like British panel shows I don't typically enjoy watching. But you get the good parts of that while also watching people do ridiculous shit in a shed. Um and next year for extra life, I want to try and steal some people to make them do Tog Masters. Oh Tog's my god, that would be Master. so fun! I'm, I'm workshopping the name. That would be so much fun. We should do it. Oh, one episode was um, make the best sound. <laughs> it was just uh, yeah, make the best sound. Uh, whoever makes the best sound wins. And so, uh, but people had a bunch of props to work with and a bunch of shit to just like fiddle with uh one person tried to make a big long extended noise and it just utterly failed um another person just like said a bunch of shit in a row and they were just like what are you doing like you're just talking it's not a sound that's just words (laughs) really fun really funny uh you get the good energy of like have you ever so uh have you ever seen there's a clip of james a caster um on uh, the Great British Bake Off where he presents a really bad cake and someone says, what happened here? And he said, yeah, 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 "Start." Yeah, yeah. he just says like, started baking, had a breakdown, bon appetit. Yeah. Uh, that's the energy that a lot of this show has. Also, James A. is on it and it's very good. So I'm watching series seven. It's really fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Hell Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank God. Another week that I don't have to admit to people that I'm watching Quentin Reviews doing a six hour video about uh, Victorious. So it's a, good, it's a good video. I'm glad I haven't had to admit it yet. Uh, Why do you say we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, if you want to find us, you can do so. We are on Twitter together at Argonauts Pod. Otherwise, you can find us individually. I am at Co-host Sherms. I am at Corpse Survivors. And if you want to support the show, you can do so. We have our Patreon. That's at P-U-H-T-R-A-Y-I-N.com. Otherwise, you can go to Patreon.com and search for the Argonauts podcast to find us. Ooh, yes. I, sorry, I not to self-promote, I also made a blog post this week that I uh, retweeted onto the Argonauts Twitter that was, um, hey, I want to get into alternate reality games, but I don't like being scared. <laughs> yes, I saw that post and it was very good. I wish I had that years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, if if you, I don't know, if you haven't listened to every single episode of our show and you want some arcs, what to, are like, you doing? Him, <laughs> yeah, what are you when, doing? First of all, what are you doing? <laughs> but uh, you want some arcs to kind of like read about or and jump into that aren't like spooky and you're not going to have to look up look at a fucked up guy. Uh, go check it out. <laughs> I will make sure uh, I'll include that link in the show notes. Dope. Hell yeah. Uh, Also, if you want to tell Marn how good she did on that list or recommend us other ARGs that we should cover sometime, uh, reach out to us by email. We are ArgonautsPodcast at gmail.com. Shoot anything our way. We read everything. Yeah. Uh, If you have questions related to... Uh, nonchalance and this arg and Crystor, which is the next thing that we're covering, which is also by the nonchalance people. 
Also, shoot them our way on Gmail and Twitter because we will cover them in the next episode. Hell yes. Well, on that case, I think that's going to do it for us, folks. So until next time, that's Meteor Knallernauts, baby. <laughs> <laughs>